All right. Well, this morning we come to the last chapter, the end of the book of Daniel. I have to admit, when, uh, when I started this sermon series, when I was thinking about doing this sermon series, I thought, the first six chapters, that'll be fun. The stories, the last six chapters, I have no clue. <laughs> and I think, um, at least for me, it's been profitable. I hope that it has, that it has been profitable for you as well. Uh, my pulpit Bible here says about chapter 12, the time of the end. Um, I guess that's fitting, both for Daniel and for our series in Daniel. We're at the end. In any case, let me uh, read this chapter. This is God's Word. This is what we will consider uh, what it teaches us this morning. Daniel 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as, nev- such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, may he write it upon our hearts here this morning. May it bear fruit in our lives. And as we come before it, let me again pray for us. Our holy God and Father, we ask your blessing upon us now as we come before your word. We ask that you would teach us through it, that you would fulfill your promise that it goes out and does not return to you empty, that it fulfills everything that you plan for it and accomplishes everything 
that you have purposed for it to accomplish. We pray for us that you would pour out your Spirit upon us so that our eyes would be open, so that our ears would be open, that we might see and hear the things that you have for us from your Word this morning, and that in learning, your Word might become for us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, so that we might walk according to what it teaches us. Again, Father, as always, we ask this in the precious and holy name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Questions. Seems like we human beings are full of questions. We could say that asking questions and seeking the answer to questions is one of those things that distinguishes us from mere animals. We're curious people. And I mean that in all the range of that meaning of the word. We're curious in that we ask a lot of questions, but we're curious, strange as well. We want to explore, we want to know, we want to learn. We've launched voyages across vast oceans. We've gone into space. These questions help us get places, gain understanding, put that understanding and knowledge to use, apply it, make great advancements. And we have made great progress in science, technology, economics, history, politics, all sorts of fields. We have gained great knowledge and understanding. Despite all this, there remain questions that are just hard to answer. Some of them, we might even say, are impossible to answer. And it's those questions, quite honestly, that I think frustrate us the most. The question that I ask and I can't get an answer to it. They bother us. Children like to ask those kinds of questions of parents. Are we there yet? You're reading a book together. You're watching a movie together. What happens next? Who's that? How does it end? Spiritual children, all of us, like to ask these kinds of questions to our spiritual father. Who am I going to marry? When am I going to get married? How many kids will I have? What kind of a job will I have? What will I do? Or even echoing our younger selves. God, are we there yet? How does it all end? I want to know. Tell me about the return of Jesus. Now, why does a child ask these questions? Sometimes it's mere curiosity, but often it's just impatience. Youthful, childish impatience. They can't wait. They want to know now. And I think it's really not all that different with us. When it comes to God's promises, and we've read about them here this morning, and we'll talk about them more, when it comes to God's promises, especially the return of Jesus, our resurrection from the dead, we're impatient. We want to know. We're anticipating that great last day when everything will be made right. We're even told to look for signs, to get some idea of what's going on. But we're not content with signs. We want to know the details. We want to know the specifics. What exactly do these numbers mean? What exactly do these images tell us? Why do we want to know that? Well, so we can know. 
really know when all these things are happening and how they're happening. Now, what do we tell our children when they ask us these kinds of questions? When are we going to get there? We'll get there when we get there. Maybe if they're older and have a sense of time, we'll, we'll tell them that. But with younger children, they don't have any sense of time. We'll get there when we get there. Be patient. Enjoy the trip. Look out the window. See all the scenery. Read a book. Play a game. Do something. We'll get there. You're watching a movie or reading a book with a young child. What's happening? Who's that? What's going on? How many times have I said this to my kid? Just watch the movie. Just watch. You'll find out. Just keep reading. You'll find out. And I bring this up because questions are being asked here in Daniel chapter 12. And they echo those kinds of questions to which we get oftentimes unsatisfactory answers. We want better answers. We want details. Someone, it says in verse 6, asks, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? When are we going to get there? How long? And then Daniel finally in verse 8 asks that other question. What shall be the outcome of these things? In other words, how is it going to end? What's going to happen? And you may have noticed that the answers were given were not really very specific. In fact, the answers kind of add to the mystery instead of solving it. And what I want to do this morning is look at those questions, look at those answers, first of all looking at the context in which they're being asked, but then look at the questions and answers themselves and see what we can learn and how it might be profitable for us. So, what's going on here? What's the context? Well, remember, first of all, that chapters 10 to 12 is one long narrative, one long story that fits together a vision or maybe a series of visions uh, that Daniel has that are connected together. If you remember back in chapter 10, Daniel had been inquiring of God. He'd been in mourning for three weeks. He ate no delicacies, no meat. During the time of the Passover celebration. Probably asking about the situation in Jerusalem. Because the exiles had returned, they'd set up the altar, they laid the foundation of the temple, but then it all stopped. Enemies arose, caused trouble, caused dissension. So Daniel's in mourning and he's praying and crying out to God And an angel is sent, opposed by a prince of Persia. That's why it took so long until Michael came along to help with this assistance that heavenly messenger comes to Daniel and gives him an incredibly detailed picture that we looked at last week in in chapter 11. An incredibly detailed picture of the rise of kings and kingdoms from Daniel's time up until the terribly evil and wicked king Antiochus Epiphanes, who sets up the abomination that brings desolation in the temple. The idol to Zeus, sacrificing pigs, unclean animals on the temple grounds. And what this does is it takes us from the time of Daniel's vision, about 530-something, 536 B.C., 
all the way up to about 164 BC when Antiochus dies. And then in verse 36 of chapter 11, the prophecy seems to jump to some future king. Antiochus Epiphanes is a model of that king. He's wicked, but this future king is going to be even more wicked than Antiochus. Possibly, probably, I think, the Antichrist, the final one of all the Antichrists that afflict the church. And it says in verse 40 that at the time of the end he wars against kings of the north and the south and the east and the west. Those verses describe that conflict. He comes to the glorious land, which is Israel. He pitches his tents between the mountains and the sea, and there he meets his end with no one to help him. That's where we end chapter 11. And now chapter 12 starts, and it says, At that time, at that time of the end, Michael shall again arise, the great prince of Daniel's people. And at that time there will be great trouble. But also at that time Daniel's people will be delivered. Every single one of them whose name is written in the book. Now think about what that means for a second. I think this means, I think it means fairly clearly that Daniel's people are not the Israelites. Daniel's people are believers. Because it's only believers whose names are written in the book. This is kind of like the way Paul describes things in Galatians about the true heirs of Abraham, the true children of Abraham. In verse 2, we're told of a future resurrection, Old Testament teaching about the resurrection of the dead, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. The wise shine like stars. They turn many to righteousness. Daniel is told to seal up, to shut up the words and seal the book, this book of prophecy, until the end. And we're also told that many will run to and fro which we'll come back to. Daniel looks again and sees two more heavenly beings in addition to the one he saw at the first. One now on the one side of the river, one on the other, with the one still hovering above in linen. And a voice cries out, unknown who it is, how long will it be to the end of these wonders? When is the end? How long till we get there? The answer is given. A curious answer. It'll be time, times, and half a time. And Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand. So he asks another question. What shall be the outcome of these things? How exactly does the story end? And another enigmatic, puzzling answer. Go your way, Daniel. The words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. And in the meantime, in verse 10, many shall purify themselves white, and be refined. And the wicked shall act wickedly. The wicked shall not understand. But the wise will. The wise will understand. And more puzzling numbers. 1,290 days. 1,335 days. But again, it's said to Daniel, Go your way. Go your way until the end. You shall have rest. You shall stand 
in your allotted place at the end of days. There's the context of these questions, this vision of the end times, the righteous, the wicked, resurrection, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt, words spoken, times, days, the wise, the wicked, all these things going on, trouble, conflict. But in the midst of this, there's deliverance for Daniel's people, the righteous, the heirs of Abraham. And not just deliverance from war and strife and the things that are going on on this earth, but deliverance from death itself. Think about that. Daniel is given a glimpse of what we've been taught more about as New Testament believers. Everlasting life is coming. These dead bones are going to rise up and have new life. The wicked also will rise to shame, everlasting contempt, judgment. And then I think we have a description of what's going on in the meantime, until that resurrection. Many are going to run to and fro seeking knowledge. And it says knowledge increases. Verse 4, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Similar to Amos 8, except in Amos they're frustrated. In Amos 8, many are seeking to and fro for the word of the Lord, but they're not finding it. Here what they find is knowledge. Knowledge grows, but apparently it's not knowledge of the Lord, because they're still wicked. The wicked remain wicked. It's not knowledge of righteousness. And so we have this picture of this frantic running to and fro, running about, seeking for knowledge, finding knowledge. But Daniel's picture is they're not finding knowledge that's of any value. No righteousness, no wisdom. The wicked remain wicked. And so they really don't gain any profit from this great increase in knowledge and understanding. And as I think about that, boy, that sure seems like today. Has there ever been a period of time in human history like the last, I don't know, 200 years or so where knowledge has increased more rapidly than it has in our time? Where it's advanced farther and quicker than it ever has? Look at the things we can do. Look at the things we can make. Look at, look at the ideas that people have. Black holes and time-bending in space and sending spacecraft into the outer reaches of, of space, going to the depths of the sea, putting people on the moon. Now we're thinking about putting people on Mars. We can do amazing things. But has righteousness increased? Has wisdom increased? People are running to and fro. They're not finding the word of the Lord. What a picture. What a terrible picture. Knowledge is increasing. But righteousness and holiness are not. So there's this picture in Daniel of this time up until the end being filled with this running and to and fro, people acting wickedly, but none of them understanding. But that's not the only picture he gives us. <laughs> there's a positive side. 
The righteous, meanwhile, shine like stars. The righteous turn many to righteousness. While the world is running around gaining in knowledge and understanding and doing great things, the church is growing. (laughs) Righteousness is increasing for the church, for those whose names are written in the book. Many purify themselves, making themselves white and refined. And don't be scared of that description. It's not works righteousness. It's the process of sanctification, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like Christ, refining us, making us white. And so I think also in Daniel we have this wonderful description of the gospel, the gospel going out, the gospel having effect, the gospel changing people, the gospel making many wise, the gospel refining and making white and pure those who hear it and respond. That's what a wonderful picture that is. So it's kind of natural then that we have the questions that we have. How long? How long is this going to take? How long until we have to wait for the resurrection of the dead? And how is it going to happen? How will it end? What will be the outcome? Unfortunately, the answers aren't very clear, at least not on the surface of things. How long? When are we going to get there? Well, verse 7. A time, times, and half a time. We've heard that before in chapter 7, where the fourth beast is given the saints for a time, times, and half a time. Some take that as being three and a half years. That could be. It doesn't exactly fit chapter 7. It doesn't exactly fit this either because we're talking about a time from Daniel's time to the end. But it could fit if we think about the time it took for Rome to defeat the Jews, and sack Jerusalem and tear down the temple as a historical event, but also as a a figure or a picture, a metaphor, the length of time until the last day. In any case, time times and half a time is meant to say that it's going to take a while. It's not going to take forever. It's not seven. It's not a complete period. It's half of that. So there's this sense that it's defined, but it's limited. It's not complete. It's cut shorter. And that fits, I think, with the more specific days that we see in verses 11 and 12. 1,290 days, which is three and a half years in a Jewish calendar. The 1,335 days, 45 days more. And and some try to fit these days to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes when he was there. Uh, That doesn't really fit either. We talked about that before. This time from when the regular offering was cut off to the abomination that makes desolate. It doesn't fit there time-wise. Plus, again, we're talking about the end. This is the end. At that time, at the end, Michael will arise and all this will happen. So I think the days is, is more of a confirmation, the number of days, 
that the end is numbered. Jesus tells his disciples, the Father has fixed the time. No one knows what the Father has fixed, but it is fixed. It's limited. It's defined, and God, the Father, knows what it is. God knows the number, but we don't. And so we can take some confidence from this, the time, times, and half a time, the 1,290 days. God knows what it is. He's got it set. He's got it fixed. We just have to have confidence and trust that he is in control. God has set the boundaries. I think we can think of it from being the time when the regular offering ends, which is talked about here, the ministry of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the rending of the veil of the temple, the end of sacrifice, also tied in with the destruction of the temple, which ends sacrifice. But more importantly, that Jesus himself is the final once-for-all sacrifice. From that time to the abomination that makes desolate, some future echo, some future replay, if you will, of the work of Antiochus. Again, probably at that time when Antichrist deceives many, even believers. Why the longer number? 1,335 versus 1,290. This is just a guess. The 1,290. I'm thinking that's how long from the end of sacrifice to the time of the abomination. And then 45 days later, it's meant to tell us that as soon as that happens, as soon as we see or think we see or think we understand believers falling under the spell of Antichrist, the time is short. Blessed is he who makes it to the 1335. It's hard to know what this is for sure, and I wouldn't stand on any of it dogmatically. The simple picture is getting to the abomination might take a while, But God has it numbered. Once that happens, the end is near. Close. So persevere to the end. Patiently endure, to borrow from the words of Revelation. So again, that question, how long will it be? As long as it takes. (laughs) We'll get there when we get there. As long as God has decreed. And how long has God decreed? Well, he hasn't told us. The Father knows. Again, looking at Acts chapter 1. It'll last as long as it takes until every name that is supposed to be written in the book is written in the book. And what that means for us, practically speaking, is we can't just sit around and be lazy and complacent. Daniel's people, our people. There are people out there who still need deliverance. It's our job to turn many to righteousness, as it says in verse 3. We are the wise. The world thinks us foolish, but Scripture calls us wise because we have found Christ. And so we turn many to righteousness by our witness to Christ and to his saving work. It's our job to help others, to help each other, to work on ourselves, to purify and refine ourselves, teaching and admonishing one another, discipling each other to learn and to obey all that Jesus has taught us and commanded us. How long is it going to take? We don't know. But whenever it is, in the meantime, 
We have work to do. We need to shine like stars. We have people to bring in. The second question gets even less of an answer, or less of a clear answer. How does it end? What shall be the outcome of these things? And in response to this question, Daniel is told for the first time in verse 9, it's going to be repeated in verse 13, Daniel, go your way. (laughs) Go. In other words, go about your life. Live, work, eat, sleep, pray, worship, love those around you. Be salt and light to those around you. Serve others. Do what you were called to do and don't worry about it. Get on with your life and do this until the end of days. Verse 13. So our job is not to worry about how this is going to happen or when it's going to happen. To stress over it, to obsess over the end times. Read books and watch TV shows and read articles about the end times. Interpret them through the newspaper. But I'll tell you, you want to get people's attention? Start a blog on the end times. Start a radio show. Start a podcast. Have a Bible study on Revelation. We're desperate to know how this is going to work. And yet the more I look at this, whether it's in Daniel, Revelation, Jesus telling us very bluntly through his disciples, we don't know. It's not for us to know. And so I don't think we're supposed to know. But it is for us to live, to work, to witness, to use the gifts that we've been given, the talents that we've been given for God, for His church, for the witness and advance of the gospel, bringing many to righteousness and many to understanding. To spread the good news of salvation through repentance and faith in Christ. But it's also for us to rest. That might seem odd. Work and rest. Do what you're called to do, but also rest. Remember what the wicked do. The wicked run to and fro, looking for knowledge. In Amos, they run to and fro looking for the word of God and they don't find it. That's not what the righteous do. The righteous don't run to and fro seeking for things. The wicked might be frantic for knowledge and understanding, but not us. Daniel's told to go his way. Go your way. Live your life. But he's also told, rest. Go your way and you will rest. Do what God called you to do and you will have peace. Peace of mind, lack of worry. That's just a description of the life of faith, of trusting God. Do we really believe the times and seasons are in God's hands? Well, of course we do. Are the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms in God's sovereign control? Of course they are. What lesson have we been learning over and over again in the book of Daniel? God is sovereign. God's taking care of everything, his people, These kings are nothing more than tools and instruments in his hands. So why then worry and fret and obsess over things we can't control? We do not control the end times. 
They come when God says they come. So we're to live a life of faith. Resting in God, trusting in his plan and purposes. And we all did this when we were saved. Resting from our own labors for our own righteousness, to be good enough. And instead resting on the finished work of Christ our Savior. You laid your sins on him, the spotless Lamb of God. They were nailed to the cross with him. You received his perfect obedience, done, complete, as a gift of grace through faith. All this obsession about the end times and how things will, will, will turn out reminds me a little bit of what Paul says to the Galatians. You began well, are you going to finish poorly? You began in faith, are you going to finish worrying about things you can't control? That's not how God has called us to live. Go your way, live your life, rest, rest in God, rest in Jesus. Daniel's given assurance of this twice. He's told the words are shut up and sealed. In verse 4 and verse 9. Doesn't mean the words are closed and hidden and can't be found or written. It means they're complete and it means they're true. The words are shut up, they're done, they're complete. They're sealed. They have that seal of authenticity. The seal of truth. Divine approval. Divine affirmation. These words are true. And so we don't believe blindly. Christians do not walk blindly. We don't have a blind faith that lives blindly. We don't trust God blindly. Because God has shown himself over and over And over again to be faithful and true, sovereign over his creation, working consistently on behalf of his people. The providence of God is a wonderful, blessed thing. We've seen over and over what he's done for his people. All of us have seen it in our own lives, in various ways, in various circumstances. Our faith is not blind. It looks to a true God who's enthroned in heaven, to the work that he's done for us, and trusts that he will complete that work. And he'll complete it according to the promises that he has made. It's just as certain as every prophecy that we've seen fulfilled. Does Daniel 11 impress you? It should. But it should give you confidence that everything he's promised you will come true for you. There's a promise at the end given to Daniel. It's your promise as well. Daniel's told to go his way till the end. You shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. You shall stand in your allotted place. Daniel has an allotted place at the end of days. But you know what? So do you. Jesus told us this. John 14, 2 and 3. There's room for you. There's room for you that Jesus himself has gone to prepare for you in his, in our Father's house. There's a place for you to stand, to live, to be at that last day.
And he promised as well when he told this to the disciples, if I'm doing this for you, will I not come back for you as well? Will I not come back and take you there? That's true. When will it happen? I don't know. How will it happen? I don't know. And I don't mean this facetiously, but who cares? It's going to happen, and that's what matters. In the meantime, go your way. (laughs) Go your way. Live the life that God has called you to live in faith, trusting God, resting in His work for you. Not striving, not trying, not trying to achieve, not seeking after knowledge or understanding. Resting in Him. And we have this assurance given to Daniel. These words are true. These words are sealed. These words are certain. You can bank on that. You can have faith in that. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, we do thank you for the promises that you have made. We see clearly the great work that you have done. And so we can put confidence in the promises that you have given to us, that they will come true. We are like children. We want to know when and we want to know how. But we would ask that you would increase our faith. Cause us to put our hope and trust in you. Have confidence in your timing, in your provision, in the manner in which you are going to do things. And give us a measure of faith that allows us to live as you have called us to live. Do the things you have called us to do. Use the gifts that you have given to us for your glory, for showing Jesus to the world around us, for communicating the glories of his gospel, for calling them to repentance and faith. And may we be content to rest and to wait until you do usher in that day when the wise will rise to everlasting life. And we will take up our residence in the place that you have appointed for us. Father, we look forward to that day. And we do pray, we do ask that it would come quickly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.